Psalm 119, as we look at God's Word together. You know, I often think about my life and who I am, and oftentimes I wish I, I, wished I was just a little different. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there before? Have you just wished that you were just a little different? I mean, I wished I looked sometimes a little different. I wished I could do things a little differently. Look, I wished I, wished I was just a little bit taller. <laughs> I've been told if you sit in the balcony, by the way, I do look taller, which is good. But sometimes just a little bit. If I, you know, add four or five more inches, I'd be as tall as John Nugent at that point, you know. And I just wished I was a little bit taller. I could do some things. I, and again, I know I look that like I'm very athletic, but there are days that I wish that I was more fit. I wish there were more things that I could do. Seriously, even more than my physical stature, I, I think about things that I wished I was better at. There are days, there are days I wished I was a better, a better preacher or a better pastor. There are days I wish that I was a better husband, a better father. There are days that I just wished... I was a better believer. I wished I'd be transformed in some sense. And then I'm reminded, that's what God is in the business doing. He is in the business to transform us. Because to be honest with you, none of us in this place are where we should be in perfection and maturity. And none of us will be until we stand before Christ one day. But what I'm proud of is that he doesn't give up on us. But he continues to work in our lives, and he continues to transform us. And hopefully every day we look more like him and his son, the Lord Jesus. That is our goal. That is our hope. And I will say to you that the word, God's authoritative truth, is central to our transformation. We cannot be transformed. We cannot be different. We cannot reflect the image of Christ if we do not know who he is and what he wants from our lives. And thus, God in his perfect revelation has given us those expectations and he has challenged us to be transformed. Now, I want you to see that as we look at Psalm 119, beginning in verse 25, the psalmist describes, I think, some areas of transformation that he's praying for. Verse 25, it says, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O oh Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O oh Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness.
The psalmist pleads for a transformation. He pleads for God to do something in his life, and he, and he really pleads for God to transform him through the Word. I want you to see as you read this passage that the psalmist talks about how death can be transformed into life and how the Word really transforms death into life. In that first verse that we read, verse 25, it says, My soul clings to the dust. The idea there is that it seems that death itself has a hold on me. My soul clings to the dust. The grave has seemingly captured me and I can't get away from it. It is as though death itself has overtaken me. That's really the literal sense of what the psalmist says. He says, I feel like that I have encountered death and it has its hold on me. But notice he says, Revive me according to your word. In other words, even in those moments where it feels like death itself has grabbed us, we can experience life through his word. And the psalmist says, Revive me. Um, Some translations, the Holman Christian Standard will say something like, give me life. It is intensive. It means, Lord, I am praying with all that I've got that you would provide to me life through your word. And it is amazing how God in his work and in his word can take a life that seems to be captured by death and bring to it life. Revive me, he says. Three times, actually, in the passage we've read, we saw the word revive. In verse 25, in verse 38, and in verse 40, he pleads for a renewal, a revival. I I liked one take on that word revive, which can mean to be lively. I thought to myself, a lot of us Baptists need that word in our lives, right? We need to be lively. We need for God to grant us life and for us to express life and to us, for us to experience the life-giving word. Three times in this set of verses, we see the word revive, but also you'll see it used throughout Psalm 119. In verse 88, in verse 107, in verse 149, in verse 154, in verse 156, I think the psalmist is wanting to experience life. For him to mention it that many times, to want to have revival come in his life, he wants to experience life. He doesn't want to know death anymore. He wants to know life. And the Word, God's Word, is what brings life to us. And you know, I still believe God's Word does that to us. For those of us who are lost and we experience that death in our sins... We know what it's like to experience the word and then to experience life, do we not? Those of us who are saved in this place, we know what it's like to experience being enslaved, being like, feeling like we've been captured by death itself. And then all of a sudden through the word of God being liberated, being freed, being forgiven, Wherever you were, it may have been here at Temple Baptist Church. It may have been at another church somewhere else. It may have been here in Louisiana or it could have been in Mississippi. It could have been in Texas. It could have been in... No, they don't get saved in Arkansas, do they? Anyway, there are different places around. Wherever you were, you know what it was like to experience the Word of God and for God's Word to somehow breathe life into you and to challenge you. You knew that you were dead in your sins and you were convicted in that of the Holy Spirit. 
and yet you came and you came in faith and in trust you gave your life isn't that what we believe about the word and the life-giving word that we have is that this is a word that transforms death into life and if you don't believe us all you got to do is look at us because many of us in this place were at that point of death in our lives spiritual death And yet what God did is he revived us, he renewed us, and he gave us life. I believe this is the life-giving word, just as the psalmist did. And I believe we can be uh, experienced life through his word. It's one of the reasons I believe that when somebody stands to preach, they should preach and they should teach from his word. Not their own beliefs, not just their own, um, let me say this, not their own agendas. Not their own exposés on the scripture, but they should preach the scripture and use the scripture to somehow demonstrate and speak to life. I had a deacon one time. You know when I begin a story like that, it's going to be interesting, right? I had a deacon one time that came to me and we were actually riding around doing some things together. And he looked at me and he said, Reggie, he said, I think I think you need to take a different tact in your preaching. Now, we preachers can get a little sensitive when it comes to our preaching. But I was open. I wanted to hear what he had to say. He looked at me and he said, Reggie, I, I, I don't think you ought to use the Bible as much as you do. I said, come again. He said, I don't think you ought to use the Bible as much as you do. He said, oh, but hold on just a minute. I don't mean it like that. And I said, I think you do. I think what you said just finally, you heard what you said. It finally registered on you. And there's something wrong with that statement. He said, that, I'm not talking about not using the Bible. I'm just talking about you shouldn't read so much of it. You shouldn't just stick with it when you're preaching. Yeah, I don't know. You ought to be a little more like Joel Osteen, he said. <clears throat> it's a low blow, man. <laughs> I've thought about that statement many days. It was uttered to me about nine or ten years ago. I've thought about that statement many times since. And I said to myself, there's really nothing else that we have. There there are no stories. There are no personal experiences necessarily that has the same power that the Word of God has. Now, God can use those things. God can use experiences. He can use... But there's nothing like the life-giving Word to bring a new start to somebody. Or forgiveness to someone. Or salvation to somebody's heart and life. It is still God's word that must be spoken. It is still God's word that we rely upon to renew us to where we can experience life. Listen, it is still God's word as it is proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord. That if you trust in him and have faith in him, you can be saved. That is still the salvation message today. And I still believe 
that you can experience life. For some of you who've come this morning and maybe you have not been saved, I say to you by the word of God that if you will trust in him, that if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ because he gave his life for you, if you'll come and give it to him, then you will see salvation in your heart and in your life. And the word will transform you from death unto life. That's still God's power. There's no other book like that. There's no other life-giving book like that. I've read some good books. I've read some great books. I've read books that have challenged me and encouraged me and inspired me. But there is no book like this book. That's what the psalmist says. Revive me according to your word. There's the personal work of God's life in you. I mean, here the psalmist personally speaking about life. Obviously, we know it from salvation, but also it doesn't just end at salvation. What the Word of God does is continue to produce life in us as believers. God continues to work in us that we can be lively, as I said, that we can be life-giving spirits to others as Jesus Christ was, that we will be people of life. I have noticed in my own experience that when I get away from the book, or maybe I haven't had time to read as much as I should read, Those are the most spiritually barren moments of my life. Those are the places where I feel like death itself is trying to claim me. Where I feel like, where I feel like there are so many desolate moments and desolate times. But it is when you read, it is when you experience God's word, that there is a sense of renewal and revival. And look, if you haven't picked it up lately, I encourage you to pick it up and to experience the life that is found in his word. There are days when, you know, I've studied and I've looked and you you begin to think, well, you know, I've preached through this and I've preached through many books already uh, in my life and ministry. So many others I'm looking at. So you begin to think, oh, you've heard this in seminary. You've heard it in different places. But look, every time I read God's word, it just seems to fire me up again. And there are different things. I probably have enjoyed study and enjoy looking at God's word more in the last few weeks than, than before. Why? Because I've gotten the opportunity to study and, and be in it more. And you know what? I can just feel the fire building within. Because that's the renewing aspect of God's word upon our lives. And that's what the psalmist was looking for. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. That you would personally work in my life and and bring me renewal. And it's also the way that we experience renewal corporately. Corporately. Certainly the psalmist is talking about his personal encounter. As God inspired him through the Holy Spirit to write this, he was speaking of his personal longing for renewal and revival. But there was also the corporate nature of being renewed and revived. Many people think Psalm 119 is based on a a love or rendering or so of the book of Deuteronomy. So when I was reading these initial words and I was thinking about Deuteronomy, I, I turned back and I remember that corporate revival, that corporate renewal that could come by simply reading the word or following the word, living the word. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 4.1, Moses speaks and he says, Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, 
that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Notice what Moses said even then. Listen, follow what God has said, his word to you. And what will you do? You will live. Deuteronomy 5.33, there he said, You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Look, life was always given as God spoke in his own way. Renewal, revivals. In the Old Testament, whether you were looking at Josiah and how... Hilkiah went in and found the book of the law and read it. And before you know it, there was renewal and revival. Or whether it was Ezra standing and reading in the book of Nehemiah and how the covenant was renewed. There was always a sense of God's word that preceded that renewal and revival and God coming to experience life. So it's no surprise that the psalmist would say, revive me according to to your word. I would say to us today, if we're going to experience renewal and revival and God's life within us, we've got to be reminded that it is the word that transforms death into life. But not just the word transforming death into life, the word also transforms, it transforms darkness into light. Darkness into light. I want you to look again in verse 26. It says, I have declared my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Notice he is praying that God would enlighten his mind, that he would have understanding of God's works and God's ways, that God would somehow just speak to him and bring a light to him. May, may we be very honest about who we are we are completely dependent upon God and his revelation for us. Completely dependent upon that. It, it took God in his revelation demonstrating to us who he truly is before we could truly see him in the way we should. God has always taken the initiative. God's always brought the revelation. And what God does in our lives is he brings to us light. We, our minds were darkened beforehand. We might not have been able to understand or process the scripture, but what God does is speak to us. He transforms that darkness into light, and he allows us the experience of studying and looking at scripture. And I'm still one of those, um, how do I say this? Can I say old time? I'm one of those old time Baptists in a sense that believes that each one of us with the Holy Spirit of God within us, illuminating the way, speaking to us, working within us, will help us read his scripture and will give us an understanding when properly studied, will give us an understanding of what God is trying to say. I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think this Bible is just for the culturally elite. I think it's for every one of us who studies it and reads it and looks at it because ultimately it is the Holy Spirit of God that transforms darkness into light and gives us understanding. The Word speaks to us, to our minds. But the Word speaks to us also, if you notice, 
through our speech, lighting our speech and our tongues. It says in verse 29, remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. Speaks, it enlightens our speech and our tongues. Also, as you continue to read down, it brings light to our heart. Verse 34, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. In other words, it enlightens my attitudes. Look, when God is using his word to transform us, it'll not just be that we will do the things that he wants us to do. It'll be that we want to do the things that he wants us to do. Right? That, that's part of God working on us. Some of us, we just do it sometimes because we feel like we have to. Because we feel the pressure and the stress. But as God transforms us into his image, what eventually happens, hopefully happens, is not just that we do it, but we want to do it. God kind of works on that area of our lives. And here he says, incline my heart toward your testimony. As I read his word, as I study it, somehow he deals with my want to. And he turns me more toward his testimonies, not toward what I just want in life. Certainly, verse 37 says, he brings light to our eyes, not darkness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me. In your way, the things that we look at and that we approach. And finally, he brings light to our feet. And certainly, verse 35 says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Verse 105, that verse that is so often quoted, it is a lamp unto our, path, to our feet and a light unto our path. That is God's word to guide us and to bring light and to illuminate our ways. And the word transforms our dark ways into ways of light, transformation. That's what God wants to do in our lives is that we are walking, that we are thinking, that we are looking more like Jesus every day. Now, you'll get tired of, tired of this one day, but I'm going to tell you that the goal of every believer, I'm going to tell you this repeatedly, but the goal of every believer is what? The goal of every believer is to look more like Christ today than we did yesterday. That's really the simple test that should come in our lives. Do we look more like him today than we did yesterday? That's, that's how we can see if we're transforming and maturing. Because what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that God is, the Father is going to bring us into his presence and we're going to look like Christ one day. But he's already begun the process. And he wants us to look more like him every day. And that is in the way we think, in the way we look, in the way we walk. Do we look more like him? Some of you, some of us have been, we've been believers for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. My question to you is, don't you look a whole lot more like him now than you did then? If you don't, something is wrong. Because we should be undergoing transformation every day. What's that old children's song? I, I don't know. Some of you may remember it and may not. You were children one time, a few of you. You remember about he's still working on me? About two people know that song I see from the response I just got. He's still working on me. 
and the word as we read it, we begin to think more like him. We begin to look more like him. We begin to walk more like him. And oh, how the culture that we are living in, I believe, is craving for people who look more like him. Some of you say, Brother Reggie, that that seems a little strange because this culture just rejects. I think that some of our culture, that some of our culture is looking for people that are authentic in their walk with Christ and really talk the talk, walk the walk, that they're real people who live for him every day and who are consistently trying to grow in him. I think that's what so many people, so many people now are turned off from what, from the view we give on Sunday as opposed to the view we give on Monday. And God wants to transform our lives through his word, transform our thinking. And God can still do that, can he? Kenan Peterson. Kenan and Betty lived just a little up the road from Pine Grove Baptist Church when I was pastoring there. They didn't have anything to do with the church. Anything to do with any church, as a matter of fact. But one day, we were able to convince them to let their children come to vacation Bible school. We'll never forget this. Leslie and I, we've talked about this in the year since this happened, we've talked about it several times because God has convicted us over this, that they lived within about two miles of the church and never gone to church. Certainly the parents had known about church and things, but the children, when they came, Cole, Cole I think was about five, Leslie, he came to church and we were having the little snacks. Now look, we still did the good stuff. I don't know what we do here, but we still did the uh, cookies and the Kool-Aid and um crackers and the cheese and the pickle i mean it was somewhat good i'm gonna tell you we went in there and we were gonna eat and there was coal we we said everybody let's just be quiet just a moment because we're gonna say grace and he said what is grace and we began to become convicted now, I know that it is the parent's responsibility. I know that. Don't give me a theological lesson after this thing is over with. But I was still convicted that there were children living within a mile and a half or two miles of our church in rural South Mississippi that didn't know anything about saying a blessing and, to be honest, knew nothing of Christ. God convicted me. Well, Cole began to come to some activities, as you often see this, and other children came, came to our, our church that was there. And I'll not forget the day when Kenan and Betty came to church. It's almost like we'd given up on them beforehand. I mean, we'd almost said they're just not coming. As one deacon's wife once told me, she said, they know where the church is, they'll come if they want. That day, Kenan and Betty walked in. And God did a work in Kenan's life, not just that day. It took some time. And Kenan, I remember walking the aisle, giving his heart to Christ. Betty right behind him. Now, Kenan was a big old boy. Kind of tall, pretty good size, stout. 
I realized after he came and was saved, I was going to have to baptize that boy. <laughs> and as athletic as I was, I didn't know how it was going to go. But the day came, we were baptizing several individuals that day. That time you would wear a little, if you were a candidate for baptism, you would wear a little white robe. We didn't have one the size of Kenan. I remember that as he was walking up in that short white robe to get into the, to get into the baptistry and then to be followed by Betty. Oh, that was a day. That was a day. But what I'm proud of is that some 13, 14 years later, I'm not just excited about one day in his life, but I'm excited about how God worked in Kenan and Betty's life even to this day. Because you see, before long, after maybe a couple of years, they began kind of helping out a little bit. Kenan began to teach Sunday school with me and do some different things and God just kept growing him and growing him. God set him aside, I think about six, seven years ago, something like that, set him aside as a deacon at Pine Grove Baptist Church. Just recently, Betty served on the pastor search committee. And if you look at their lives today, you see a life of transformation. Now, neither one of them would tell you that they've arrived, but they're in the process. None of us in this place have arrived, but we're in the process. And it comes through the transformation of God's Word as He takes those dark areas of our lives and He brings light to them. He brings light to them. And I tell you what, as I look at God's Word, I am also reminded that he takes the death and he transforms it into life. He takes the darkness and he transforms it into light and understanding. But even as we're in this process, he takes despair and he transforms it into longing. Verse 28. I don't know if you caught that when I first read through that verse, but verse 28 says, my soul melts from heaviness. Now, the psalmist is someone who knows God, knows God's, how God's word is important to his life. He knows him. And yet he still experiences heaviness in his soul. That word melts, literally in the original language, means drips. Some translations will render it weeps. My soul drips or weeps. My soul itself cries out from heaviness. Later on, you'll see the psalmist speak about that area of his heart that experiences heaviness. In verse 145, he says, I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you. Save me and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. Notice there's the heaviness that is there. And I'm going to say to you that even as we are believers, 
that heaviness can come. And all of us know that. I don't care what some preacher tells you on television about how your life will never have any other problems if you come to Christ. I will tell you that even those of us who are called believers, who have trusted in him, we will have difficult days. And there may be days when we even want to despair. When our soul weeps. But what God does is he comes in his own way to strengthen us. And bring forth a new longing, a new hope, a new desire. For this is what the psalmist says. He says, strengthen me according to your word. Some of us have been there, right? Some of us have experienced an absolute despair in our hearts and in our lives. And what did God do? God took his word and he spoke exactly to that despair. He spoke exactly to that hurt. He spoke exactly to that pain. And before you know it, my despair was transformed into a longing, a hope, knowing that there is something better that God has. This week, I just went through and thought about about a few and how that could be practically applied to us. For example, to the one who feels all alone, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. To the gentleman who lost his job, Matthew 6.25-26 through 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, of the bir- look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? For the one who is ready to just simply give up, and that may be where you are this morning, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no mighty increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be... They shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To the one this morning who is in this place who is struggling with alcoholism and drug dependency, the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. To those of you who are caretakers right now of an elderly parent, the scripture speaks to you in Psalm 46, 1 through 3 and 10. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Be still and know that I am God. And to that one who has just buried your spouse, or buried your parent, or your son, or your daughter. Never forget the encouraging words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I say to you that the word can strengthen you. When you are in despair, when you feel like you're giving up, God takes that despair and he brings a new longing and a new hope to you through his word. And I say wherever you are and for whatever sake, for whatever you're searching for this morning, open his word and let him speak to you and let him transform you and transform that despair into hope. It's a transformation. I said none of us here have arrived. But thank God many of us are on the journey. And what God wants to do through his word is to continue to transform death into life for you to experience life. He wants to take those dark areas of your life and he wants to bring light. He wants to take your despair He wants to bring you a new longing, a new hope for him. Would you let the word transform you? Would you submit to him in his lordship and listen to what he has for you?